afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. 701 is your local number, 888-970-9329. That's toll-free. Email talk at WDAY.com. Nathiel, how are we doing today? Oh, pretty good. It's Friday, and I am obsessively refreshing my email, waiting for a notification that my Nintendo Switch has shipped, which could happen anytime today or before June 30th. That's a modern thing, right? Like, you order stuff online, and then you spend the whole time waiting for it to show up. Well, the problem really is that I have no idea when it's going to ship, because these were pre-orders that GameStop took oh, based yeah. on the shipment that they were getting in, and the shipment was getting in for them to ship them out to their pre-order customers between June 16th and June 30th. So we've got like a two-week period where it could happen earlier, it could happen later. The the worst part of the tracking thing for me is like you order the thing that you're excited about getting, and it's fine until you see that, that like it's in your city and it's out for delivery. Oh, and then you can't, then you just want to And then it's like, well, when is it coming? (laughs) right it's out for delivery it's out for delivery but it could you know it could be delivered in the early part of the day or maybe not till eight you hear like the garbage truck outside and you think it's the ups guy so you go run out and look out the windows like oh it's the garbage dog starts barking you think the ups is pulling up somebody just walked by a window somebody rang the doorbell and you're grubbing with them because you thought they were the delivery person and they're not if someone rings my doorbell and it's not the delivery person they had better have a good explanation Oh, the modern thing. Do you think it'd be better with tracking or without tracking? Oh, I... Like, do, you think, do, you think, do you think tracking, I mean, does it just ramp up the anxiety? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better if it just... You didn't really know when it was going to show up? I don't know, because I don't remember a time before tracking. I mean, I... Oh, shut up. Well, because I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of <laughs> online shopping before tracking was a thing. Right. Most of the time, like, if I wanted a new video game or something like that, we usually drove to Fargo, and I bought it at a store in Fargo. At the store, yeah. Um... And, you know, now I would just prefer to buy it online. Most of the times I don't have this problem because Amazon has two-day shipping with Prime. And so right. I don't have to worry about it because I know whether or not, I'm, yeah, what I, whether or not yeah. I'm obsessing over the tracking, it'll be here in two days. This isn't happening that way for me. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, well, it's, I, I guess it's just one of those modern things. Although that is the nice thing that, that, that the brick and mortar stores, I mean, obviously there are big changes coming for retail because of the internet and i mean that's a struggle and it's it's sad to see some of these some of these stores close the sears stores jc penny stores places like that it's kind of sad to see them close and i i can completely understand the concern some people have about you know whether or not we're going to have options to go shop in person because sometimes there's just that is though the one benefit that that online will never have over bri- brick and mortar stores is that when you shop in person, you can pick it up, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see how much it weighs, and you can take it home with you that day. There's just no getting around it. The online retailers are never going to compete with that, I guess, unless they open brick and mortar stores, uh, which kind of defeats the purpose. All right, coming up a little bit later in the program, we are going to be talking with. Dana Shar Johnner. She is with the North Dakota Association of Nonprofit Organizations. She is the executive director. The Trump administration wants to roll back what's called the Johnson Amendment. And the Johnson Amendment was a piece of policy named after uh, former President uh, Lyndon Johnson, although he was a senator back when it passed. Uh, the Johnson Amendment put in place, um, which essentially made it illegal for nonprofit organizations, 501c3s, uh, which which covers a lot of territory. Uh, it's not just 
not it's, they're all nonprofits, but it's things like churches, religious organizations, all sorts of stuff. Um, the Johnson Amendment is essentially the prohibition where if you have if you have that tax exempt status, you cannot engage in in politics. Um, you can you can engage in it in some and it's, and it's kind of a blurry line. I mean, it's it's not like you have to be completely silent. Like you can obviously the Catholic Church is allowed to have a position on abortion. Um, you know, that's obviously a very political issue, but they're allowed to have that position. But what they can't necessarily do is endorse a specific politician who has a stance on abortion. That's what they're not allowed to do. They can't jump into a specific campaign race and support a candidate or, or I think for that matter, oppose a candidate. Um, so that's, that's what that is. And so what the Trump administration is saying is we want to roll that back. Uh, we believe, and, and they're, they're sort of guising it as a, a free speech issue. And so that's what we're going to talk about. There was a letter to the editor that um, Charge Honor and uh, another uh, gentleman uh, representing the North Dakota Community Foundation had a letter to the editor of the Fargo Forum. And we're going to talk with them about that, whether or not this is a good idea. Uh, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. Because um, I'm not so sure it's... I'm not so sure it's a bad idea. Uh, and I, I know a, a lot of the sort of letters of the editor and social media messaging that I've been seeing about it up to this point has been all about, well, I don't want to be I don't want to be preached at in church about politics. Right. I don't want somebody up on the pulpit telling me who to vote for. And I get that. I can understand why churches might want to avoid politics. I can understand why people might not want to go and get partisan politics in church. Uh, I can imagine why a lot of organizations, nonprofit organizations, would want to avoid that. But to me, you don't have to do that, right? If you if you pull back the Johnson Amendment, you're not going out and saying, okay, all you organizations, now you have to start endorsing candidates. It's saying, well, if you want to do this, you can. And if it's permissive like that, why not? Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's take a break. We'll be back right after this. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 9329 Email talk at Like I said, next segment we're going to be talking a little bit about the uh, the Johnson Amendment. And uh, there's some people locally, including the North Dakota Association of Nonprofit Organizations, that don't want the Johnson Amendment uh, overturned because they don't want nonprofits. I, so I guess this group representing nonprofits doesn't want that overturned. We'll talk with them about that. Pretty interesting stuff. Um. Nathiel, something kind of interesting going on in Bismarck, and it's a little down-in-the-weed politics st- type stuff, but I think it's I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's sort of a side of, of politics that a lot of people in the public don't spend a lot of time considering. So we have a part-time legislature, right? We have, uh, you know, they meet once every two years for 80 days, but in the interim, there are committees which attend to the legislature's business, when the legislature is not in, in session, they're called legislative committees. And the, the committee that sort of sits 
on top of of all of them is a committee called legislative management. Um, it's sort of in charge of the legislature's business, that branch of government's business in the interim. Uh, and among the duties of legislative management is who is deciding who gets to sit, who from the legislature gets to sit on all the other committees. So what's going on is years ago, House Majority Leader Al Carlson uh, would be the head of legislative management. Um he was and and basically the the committee uh, you know they, they they vote to decide who's going to be the head of legislative management who's going to be the chairman of legislative management uh and so house majority leader al carlson was that person um and he took the position years ago that the minority party democrats weren't going to have any interim committee assignments they didn't have enough people elected to the legislature during the regular session to chair committees so then his by by that logic why should they chair committees during the interim? Which, I'm I'm sorry, you could strum a guitar and sing Kumbaya all you want about bipartisanship. I kind of agree with. I'm not saying Democrats can't ever chair these committees, but it seems to me if they want to control committees, whether they be during the regular session or the interim, they ought to try winning some elections. Because right now they have 22 seats out of 141 they don't really have enough people during the regular session to staff all of their committees. The people who made that choice are the voters of North Dakota. So anyway, that was Representative Carlson's position when he was the head of legislative management. Well, what happened is Senator Ray Holmberg, a Republican from Grand Forks, managed to get himself elected to be the head of legislative management. And the way he did that was essentially by promising Democrats that they would be they would get committee assignments. So what happened was is typically, you know, you you had sort of a chamber versus chamber thing when it came to choosing the head of legislative management. The Senate kind of backed the senator and the House backed the House. And that's what it was. But what Holmberg was able to do by making this promise to Democrats is he got the House Democrats to come along for the ride with his chairmanship. But now Republicans are mad because <laughs> Senator Aaron Oban, who is I think the only Democrat elected to the legislature within 60 miles of Bismarck. Um, she has been appointed to an education committee, which is a pretty influential post. She gets that posting heading into an election cycle where she's going to be in for a, a pretty tough reelection fight. And other Bismarck Republicans are upset about it because the way they see it is Holmberg, in order to give him a position, uh, you know, to, to bolster his position as the head of legislative management, essentially hurt Bismarck Republicans by giving one of their opponents a cushy appointment now i get that some of this sausage making might turn the general electorate off i get that it could come off as rank partisanship but again the partisan makeup in the legislature is a reflection of what the voters of north dakota want the voters decide who gets to sit in the legislature and thus who gets to sit on these committees and even who controls the committees and mostly the voters are voting for Republicans. So I don't know. I mean, this I, Democrats have been sort of crying the blues about the fact that they don't get interim committee assignments for a long time. And, and to me, that, that speaks to a sense of entitlement. Why are Democrats entitled to have chairmanships over committees? Just, just for the sake of bipartisanship? It's actually kind of funny because you can sometimes even hear that sense of entitlement show up in their campaign messaging 
where you'll hear them say, you know, we should vote against supermajority control in North Dakota government, right? Because that's essentially what the Republicans have. They have every single statewide office. They have massive majorities in both houses of the legislature. And so Democrats say, well, vote vote for political diversity or whatever, as though we should cast our ballots for some arbitrary sense of diversity and not based on who we think is going to govern the best and promote the best ideas, promote the right philosophy or ideology or whatever it is that turns your crank. I mean, I'm not, it's almost like they're espousing a sort of partisan affirmative action. And that's really kind of where they're at with the committee assignments, too. Again, I go back to the simple fact that if Democrats want to control these committees, they ought to win elections. They ought to try to broaden their appeal to the North Dakota electorate to the point where enough of them get elected to office where they could maybe vote themselves some committee assignments. Give themselves some additional control, some additional influence over the public policy that gets made down in Bismarck. That's the only way that that should happen. Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, the Green Party, whoever it is we're electing to sit in the legislature or any legislative chamber or anywhere, the only thing that should give them power is the will of the people. And the will of the people in North Dakota is to mostly keep Democrats out of office. Now, you may not like that. You may not like to hear it. You may think it's a mistake personally. But that's the results, and it's no fluke either, because in election cycle after election cycle, Republicans are winning in North Dakota relentlessly. And in a lot of ways, that doesn't so much have to do with Republicans. I think there's a lot of very accurate criticisms that you can make with republicans we interviewed blake crosby from the north Dakota league of cities earlier this week talking about property taxes i think property taxes are a big area where the republican cold controlled legislature deserves criticism their spending is another area but a problem is is democrats don't really give north dakotans anything they want to vote for if they did more of them would win and if they're not giving north dakotans what they want to vote for if most North Dakotans are saying, you know what, those Democrats, they just don't stand for what I stand for. Then what business does anybody have giving, promoting those Democrats into a position of influence over public policy? I mean, they're elected to the legislature, don't get me wrong. They have a right to be there. They have a right to show up. They have a right to vote. They have a right to participate in that process. But why should you get to be a committee chair? This is all super down in the weed stuff. I get that. It's I wrote about it up at sayanythingblog.com too if you want to check it out. But to me, it's just sort of an interesting part of the sausage making and some of the inside baseball politics that a lot of people overlook. All right, coming up next, we're going to go back to this Johnson Amendment issue. 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com. We'll be back right after the break. Don't go away. You can't make everybody happy all of the time. But I found myself in a place that I've never been A place that I thought that I... Welcome back, Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com, or uh, send me a tweet at Rob Port. 
We were talking about the Johnson Amendment a little bit earlier in the show. If you weren't tuned in, the Johnson Amendment is a federal policy which prohibits nonprofit organizations from uh, endorsing or opposing organizations. This from a recent letter to the editor. I quote, the North Dakota Association of Nonprofit Organizations and the North Dakota Community Foundation stand together, along with other nonprofits and foundations across our state, in support of nonprofit nonpartisanship. Together, we oppose any federal legislation or executive action that would repeal or weaken existing law that prohibits charitable nonprofits, religious congregations, and foundations from endorsing or opposing candidates for elective office, also known as the Johnson Amendment. Joining me is Dana Shar Johner. She is the executive director of the North Dakota Association of Nonprofit Organizations. Dana, thanks for your time today. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Why, why oppose this? Why are you opposed for this? Well, we believe that the, the law that is currently placed is a, a good one uh, for nonprofits and for the uh, communities and the, the state of North Dakota because we believe that it really protects the integrity and the independence of charitable nonprofits and helps to maintain the public trust in what charitable nonprofits are doing, which is working to advance the public good. And so it keeps us as you know, safe spaces to uh, look at issues uh, but not get into partisan politics where we can work across the aisle with um, politicians, no matter what their party affiliation, to help solve community problems. I, I understand all that, and, and I might quibble with some of those arguments, but I, I, I get it. I, I can understand why somebody would feel that way. But when I look at this, this isn't if, – if we – for instance, tomorrow, if, if, if President Trump somehow issued an executive order and got rid of the Johnson Amendment, uh, what – I, to, to me, that's a permissive thing, right? It doesn't mean that a specific congregation or a specific nonprofit has to do anything politically. All it means is that they could. Shouldn't we be permissive and allow these organizations to do what they want to do? Well, I I certainly understand your perspective, and and really, we think that there should be you know a clear line. That's why we support the Johnson Amendment, uh, because as a charitable nonprofit, as a five hundred one c three. Um, we have um, been allowed the ability to accept uh, tax-deductible contributions from donors, for example. Uh, that's part of being a 501c3 charitable nonprofit. And so we think that uh, just maintaining kind of a level playing field for all charitable nonprofits in terms of um, what they're able to engage in. Uh, they, nonprofits and charitable nonprofits can certainly engage in policy issues uh, and certainly have uh, um, been able to advance specific issues, but in terms of being engaged in, um, you know, endorsing or opposing contributed to political candidates, we just feel that that's not something that um, is appropriate for charitable nonprofits. There are other kinds of nonprofits that certainly can engage in that, but for charitable nonprofits, um, that um, restriction is a good one that really uh, ensures that we're trusted, effective problem solvers in our communities. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. If you want to join in, email talk at WDAY.com. Let me, um, let me ask you this, because I, I, currently charitable nonprofits can, can certainly take a position on, on public policy. For instance, the Catholic Church can take a position on social issues, right? I mean, they're allowed to of do course, that absolutely. on policy issues. But, but what's the difference? I mean, if, if we're talking about public policy, is there really – I mean, it seems to be an absurd distinction between the policy itself and opposing or supporting the person who makes the policy. 
No, I, I mean, if we're talking just about the policy, there might be policies are not necessarily a, a partisan issue. Um, there, there are candidates um, that, depending on a variety of issues, can be, um, you know, it doesn't, they don't always follow party lines. And so uh, we think it's appropriate uh, and important for, for charitable nonprofits to take issues on um, or share their positions on policies. Uh, but once you start getting into, you know, endorsing or opposing candidates, uh, that really takes away from uh, the focus on the particular issue, which is um, someone is taking a position on, which is in advancing uh, that organization's mission and, and then the work that they're doing. And so anytime you uh, put charitable nonprofits into that, you know, um, endorsing or opposing, it makes it much more difficult to work on those issues from, you know, across the aisles and, and really to make sure that they have the community trust as they move forward with their mission. Now, this has really come up because the Trump administration, I guess, sort of opened the door to this policy, possible policy change. Uh, one thing that and, and they're casting it as a free speech issue. Uh, Vice President uh, Mike Pence was speaking at, a, at the annual meeting of the Faith and Freedom Coalition earlier this month. And he said, I quote, free speech shouldn't stop at the door of our churches, synagogues and places of worship. How do you respond to that to people who say that this current prohibition, you know, stops a degree of, of free speech? No, as individuals, we certainly all have the right to to share our opinions uh, and to endorse or oppose candidates, you know, as individuals, and certainly pastors and religious leaders would have that ability uh, to do that, uh, as would, you know, directors and, and board members of, of charitable nonprofits, uh, you know, on their own time. But what we're saying is that charitable nonprofit resources should not be allowed to endorse or oppose candidates, again, encouraged and welcome to, to advocate on issues that are important uh, to that particular organization and advancing their mission. Uh, and the individuals, like you and I all have the ability to, to make those uh, statements and engage in that kind of activity uh, as individuals, but we feel that charitable nonprofits, which includes you know foundations and religious congregations, should have that prohibition because of um, we do have, you know, the ability to be tax exempt and then also have our donations be tax deductible for our donors. Now, your organization came out with this position, obviously, because this, your your membership, at least most of them, I, I'm assuming, wanted you to take it. What sort of arguments? I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about your membership? And then also, what sort of arguments did they make saying, please stop this from happening? Uh, certainly. So our, our membership uh, is made up of a variety of different charitable nonprofits from arts, arts organizations to human services, foundations, um, all across the state, large and small organizations. Uh, we do have a formal uh, process where we take um, policy uh, positions through our public policy advisory committee and then ultimately our board of directors makes the final decision on any policy decisions, um, you know, that we make. Um, you know, in terms of uh, what some of our members I think they um, there's some there's a uh, community letter in support of nonpartisanship. It's a national letter that a number of uh, North Dakota nonprofits has also signed on to. Uh, here's an example so that uh, of some comments uh, from from members. The arts not belong to any political party; they belong to the people. And so, pressure from elected officials and parties to affiliate the arts will only serve to censor the arts. 
Uh, we don't believe organizations should be allowed to become part of partisan politics. And um, other comments like, even as the political power and ideas constantly change, the work and service may fairly consistent. Basic needs don't change. Therefore, please do not politicize our work. And so those are yeah. some comments from you know North Dakota yeah. nonprofits in support of the Johnson Amendment and continuing the nonpartisanship of charitable nonprofits. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday dot com. Uh, so I. I, I can understand that, and I can understand why an organization or a church or, or what have you would, would make the decision to say, you know what, we're not going to get involved in politics because it's be detrimental to our mission. It would change the way the public perceives us. It might decrease their trust in us. It's going to put faction among our, our constituencies or our membership. I, I, I completely understand all that. But when I look at organizations, like when I look at a specific church, I just think about that church or maybe, I guess, the denomination. And if they're you know, taking a position on a political candidate, that might affect how I feel about that church, but it's not going to make affect how I feel about all churches. And I guess the same would be true of like, I, I don't know, like an educational foundation or, or, you know, a, a group that's out to like cure diabetes or something. I don't know. Some other nonprofit. I mean, if, if, if a group is doing something that I don't like, I mean, I'm going to think of the group. I'm not going to think of nonprofits as, uh, you know, uh, an entity, which which I think gets back to, I mean, this would be a permissive thing. I mean, nobody is saying a given arts group has to start endorsing candidates. They're just saying you, you can if you want to. I, I, I guess I'm having a hard time seeing why that's such a bad thing. Well, I think, you know, one thing to consider is that, you know, when donors are giving to a particular organization uh, because they support their mission, um, obviously those donors expect um, those funds to go to um that charitable work that that organization is doing. And I think if uh, even a few, you know, charitable nonprofits began to, uh, you know, take that funding and, and provide it to, you know, a political candidate, I think that there would just be uh, the potential for donors to question all charitable nonprofits in terms of, well, if I donate to this organization, well, at some point they provide money to a candidate that I don't support. Uh, and I think that that just has potential you know, chilling effect on charitable contributions. And I think yeah. it also, you know, generates pressure on charitable nonprofits to actually endorse or oppose a candidate, where right now there is a clear, very clear line where we can engage in policy issues, but we do not engage in endorsing or opposing candidates. And so I think that that uh, across-the-board um, restriction for all 501c3s is really just the best thing for uh, charitable nonprofits, but more importantly for our communities and, and the, the people that they serve. Well, I think that makes sense. I, I think I think that that's probably the most persuasive thing I've heard on this yet. Well, it's 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 a very interesting debate, and uh, and certainly it's going to be interesting to see what happens with it. Dana, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. That is uh, Dana Shard Johnner. She is the executive director of the North Dakota Association of Nonprofit Organizations. This is Rob Port. I'm on 970 WDAY. We'll be back to wrap up the show right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port here on 970 WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Natil, what'd you think of that? I did, to me, and I'm 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 still not sure I'm convinced that this is a bad idea to repeal the Johnson Amendment, which of course is the federal policy 
which prohibits nonprofits from endorsing or, or supporting or endorsing or opposing uh, political candidates. I'm still not convinced that re- reeling that back is, is, is such a bad idea, but I guess I understand what she's saying, like a reputational thing. Like if, if, if a group says, well, we're a nonprofit now, you kind of know what that means. And I guess if you, if you rolled this back, well, then you're opening it up. You don't necessarily know what that means. You give money to a nonprofit and they could spend it on politics then, I guess, opposing or endorsing a candidate. And that may not be the thing that you want, but I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that was the most compelling part of her argument. But I, overall, I'm I'm still not seeing why this is such a bad thing. I don't know. I find that to be a very compelling thing because right now, even I have a hard time supporting certain nonprofits because of the already small portion of their funding that actually yeah, goes true. toward their mission. And if we open up the ability for nonprofits to support political candidates. I'm going to be even more worried that less money that I'm donating to these nonprofits is going toward the actual mission that I'm donating for. But isn't it, I mean, is, is it that, is it that an issue? Like, like if I'm going to give money to an organization, right? Like a church or, uh, I don't know, an organization that's trying to, to cure a disease or something like that. I, I mean, I, I think everybody should already be looking into, well, how does this organization spend their money? Right. I mean, are they are is is a, a good portion of the money getting to the actual thing or are they spending it on hobnobbing with VIPs at red carpet events or whatever? Well, I mean, that's already a question you should be asking yourself. I'm not sure why, you know, I mean, any, any one given organization can either be a good actor or a bad actor. Well, exactly. And my, my point in this is that do do we really want to give the organizations that we are already allowing to have numerous tax benefits, another way to spend their money in ways that we're not intending them to be spent. Like, I think do, we, I, do we want to yeah. open up that particular box when this these organizations have tax exemptions and things that most organizations don't? We, we are allowing these types of organizations to have benefits so what sort of restrictions are still being placed on them? I, I, I feel like we I feel like we draw some funny lines though, right? Because they are allowed to support or you know promote policy advocacy, right? So you know if you're out to cure AIDS, uh, then you could support research dollars for AIDS programs, right? I mean that's that could be part of the mission. but to me, it's it's not a jump. It's not even really all that different, though, to, to, to additionally say, well, we're also going to support the sort of candidate who is going to support funding for the research into our mission. Why is that a bad thing? I mean, to me, is it is it that part of if, if you want to cure this? I mean, that I could very much see that being part of the mission of a of a nonprofit is is to support politicians who are going to make it easier to solve whatever mission it is the group was formed to pursue. I don't know. That seems to me more like the type of mission for a political organization than a nonprofit. I, I guess that's that's my personal opinion on it. Yeah. But I, I feel like nonprofits who are getting tax exempt status, who are getting those types of benefits, don't need to be don't need to be mixing it up in politics. Their focus should be on the the, the mission of their nonprofit. And if the mission of that nonprofit becomes support politicians who X, then maybe they just need to be a political organization instead of a nonprofit. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, because obviously public policy intersects 
intersects our lives. I mean, we all live with it every day. You go out, you get in your car, you drive down the street, you stop at a stop sign. Uh, there's already been all sorts of government policies that has intersected your life. Um, and so, I, I mean, I mean, to me, it's it's. It's, it's like the, the people who make the policy are so much a part of this. This idea that the Johnson Amendment is accomplishing anything all that significant just seems a little silly to me. I mean, if it's, I don't know what it's protecting us from. I mean, what are we protecting ourselves from? Groups just going out and, and doing I mean, if, if, if a group's not doing something that you like, or if your church is getting too political or whatever, then solve that from within the group, right? If you're a board member on an organization and you think things are getting too political, then do something about it. Well, if the you're problem- a member... The problem there is that most organizations don't, you know, necessarily advertise that right now that they're, you know, hob spending millions of dollars to hobnob in the Bahamas or something yeah. like that. That sort of thing sort of gets swept under the rug. So I can see these types of funding programs also getting sort of swept under the rug. And unless you're really good at doing some digging into the, you know, the state, the financial statements of these organizations, you're not going to know. Do you think do you think you feel more comfortable about it if we came out and, and, and paired it like with some additional transparency protocols or something? I like think that? I think I would be more comfortable about it then. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to save that debate for another day. Thanks for listening. Uh, Jay Thomas show up next. Uh, Fargo City Commissioner Tony Garrick sitting in for him. I'm Rob Port. You can always catch me Monday through Friday, one to two p.m. right here on nine seventy WDAY or twenty four hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again.